How are we? Good? Alright. Hey, um, is that on? Yeah, sweet. Thanks, guys. Can we, um, I know what God's placed on my heart to share, and I just, I just, I just think I, I need some prayer. Not because I'm doubting anything or anything like that. I, I just, there's something, something happening. And we just, we just need to pray into that right now. Can we do that? Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just uh, acknowledge that you're here. We acknowledge, Lord, that you order the steps of the righteous people, the righteous man. Holy Spirit, just move in our heart right now to, to receive what you want to reveal to us. So we just honor this time. I pray that our minds be focused on what is being shared, that we're able to take it and apply it, that we will be a representative of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have. And, Lord, we know, we know that there is the potential to change the things that need changing in ourselves and in around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready for this? All right. Hallelujah. Come on. God's good. God's good. God is good. Hey, um, I've entitled what I want to speak to you about today, What is Truth? And look, we could do uh, six months on this, I'm sure. But it's just something that I've been really meditating upon in my own life for the last couple of weeks, obviously, in, in bits and pieces along the way, but more so over the last couple of weeks, especially, especially as we are now in a time of great discussion in our country. Who's aware that there's some discussion going on around in our country? If not, you've been hiding in a cave, okay? Many different things, and look, you hear one side of the debate, you hear the other side of the debate, um, you hear this argument, you hear that argument, and in the end you sort of think, well, what's truth? What's truth? And as Christians, we can, we can with authority, declare what is truth. But the whole world's not Christian. The whole world ain't followers of Christ, are they? And so to them, what is truth? And we can argue black and blue, our point of view. Oh, that rhymes. Sweet. But in the end, the question remains, what is truth? If you've got your Bibles, go to John 18 and we're going to start there. John 18, 33. So to set the scene, it's, it's uh, the trial of Jesus. It's where Jesus is... It has been brought to the front of the crowd and he's, um, he's 
Pilate is, is sort of in this dialogue with the crowd and with Jesus. And so we pick it up in verse 33. Are you there yet? Yep. Yeah. I'm not throwing it up on the, on the screen today. You're going to have to follow me in your Bibles. John 18, 33. We're going to read a few verses. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summons Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about that? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And in verse 38, Pilate says, what is truth? If you read between the lines, I can see that Pilate is, is just mulling over this in his mind. And, and in actual fact, I, I have this sense that Pilate is confused. There's a sense of confusion, and as you read the, the whole of it in its context, you, you pick that up. You had the crowd screaming on one side. You had the voices of, of the religious zealots and, and all those that wanted to, to see Jesus uh, crucified. And then you had Jesus, the calm voice speaking on the other. And in the end, this tooling and throwing does Pilate's head in, I reckon. I'm just using a bit of preacher's license here to paint a picture. But it's just like, man, what's going on? And he just throws his hands up in the air and he declares, well, guys, you do with them what you want. My hands are clean of this. His blood's on your hands. Okay, that's a paraphrase of, of the dialogue that happens in and around that. What's the fuss about? Why did you bring this man to me? I find no basis to have him arrested. That was a declaration of Pilate. To me, I, I started reading this and I saw the correlation between the dialogue of the crowd and of Jesus and Pilate and the dialogue that I, I'm hearing today The crowd, the people that want to change things in our country, the crowd, the people that want things to remain, and the government stuck right in the middle thinking, what am I going to do? It is, there's that sense of confusion. They're there stuck in the middle with voices on both sides and they're basically saying, well, in the end we'll, we'll do what you want. The area of identity politics, same-sex marriage, gender fluidity, the sexualization of our children. They're all current discussions in our country at the moment. And I'm not here to tell you how to think in those areas. I think it's pretty obvious. 
But I want to tackle it in how we not so much give our opinion on it, but how we dialogue with those that have the opposing view. Because I think it's very important in representing Christ that we do this well. When we look at the account of John 18, we see on the one hand the angry crowd with an agenda. In the days of Jesus, it was the religious crowd who wanted to maintain their lifestyle without this, this person called Jesus coming along and telling them that they were a bunch of hypocrites, that they were leading people astray. Being told, you go to the vast lands and make one convert and yet you will make them more a son of hell. Who would like to be told that? No. Today it's a crowd with an agenda to push their religious, and yes, I do mean their religious, humanistic manifesto of I want to live a certain lifestyle and no one has the right to tell me how to live. It's a certain lifestyle that they want to live without a sense of condemnation or a feeling of guilt or a feeling that I'm different than the rest. But see, law's not going to change that because that sense of of confrontation, that sense of condemnation doesn't come from a law. It is actually the fruit of sin. And no law is going to change that. Wrongdoing makes one feel guilty. And if there's a law introduced to say that wrong is right and right is wrong, my friends, in the heart of a person, it will not change. There will always be that sense because sin is sin and sin leads to death. It always will be, and it always does. But if we look back at John 18, and we see the reaction of the crowd, there's an uncanny similarity to what is happening in today's world as it is then. So if you've got your Bibles, you can sort of follow along with me, and I I ask you to, to probably go home and read through it in your own time to see how it corresponds. But in a nutshell, it goes like this. Pilate, he's the Roman government official, okay? He declares there's no charges against Jesus. It's interesting that if you're following the debate at the moment and the discussion, it's interesting that you have commentators like Andrew Bolt and Uh, and Alan Jones, declared atheists, okay? They've declared that they're atheists. And yet they're they're in the middle and they go, guys, why are you bringing Jesus to me to be charged? They're saying, why is this persecution against Christianity? Atheists. The crowd are bringing the Christian, um, Christian ethics and Christian morals to judgment. And yet you have 
this person saying, what's the fuss about, guys? Why are you condemning them? It's interesting, isn't it? It's what Pilate said when he was looking at what was happening around him. Why is Christianity under attack and being ridiculed? In a sense, they are saying, just like the unbelieving Pilate, why is the crowd dragging Christianity? Why is the crowd dragging Jesus before the courts of popular opinion? And in some cases, before the literal court, you remember the case of the Tasmanian Catholic priest who just because he was handing out literature to his own congregation on the traditional values of marriage was charged with discrimination. Why is it being brought to the, to the courts? And then you have Pilate. He says, okay, guys, here's the choice. Let's see if this is going to work. I'm going to bring to you Jesus, and I'm going to bring to you this man named Barabbas. It's my custom to release one of them to you. Which one do you want? When I, when I look at this, it sort of just blows my mind at whom the crowd picked. Come on. You have Jesus, who the Bible tells us, went around doing good. He went around sharing a way forward. He went around sharing a message of love. He went around healing all their sicknesses and diseases, standing there accused. And then you have Barabbas a convicted criminal who led an uprising, committed murder, committed insurrection against the Romans. And who did the crowd vote for? Barabbas. Barabbas. Why? Because they had an agenda. They had an agenda. My friends, you look at, at, at the, the disciples of Christ throughout history. I know they haven't been perfect. I know they've done some atrocities in the name of Jesus. But when you look at the overall picture, what do you see? You see that schools were formed because of Christians. You see health systems were set up because of Christians. You see that slavery was abolished because of Christians. You see that education was what was brought into mainstream because of Christians. You see that the poor and the disenchanted were brought in and cared for because of Christians. You see all these things throughout history. You see that child labor was abolished because of a Christian voice. And then you see Barabbas. Who can we compare that to? Come on. The other religion in our world that is murdering, that is causing uprising and upheaval in communities, that is seeing people persecuted 
And yet when we look at public commentary, what are we seeing? Down with Christ. Come on, release to us Barabbas. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's happening. Just as the crowd shouted back then, release to us Barabbas. You have, you have people, one, uh, one young woman saying that Islam is the most feminist religion in the world. Well, I'm sorry, but she missed that YouTube video that I begrudgingly watched because there was just that sense I needed to get the perspective of a woman in Saudi Arabia who was literally beheaded in public with police surrounding them and giving their consent, beheaded. Why? Because her husband accused her of a crime. I'm sorry but it doesn't match up for me. But you see, I have a conviction in my heart. I have a faith in the Saviour of this world, Jesus Christ. And you see, that is my platform. And when I say what is truth, I have to literally stand on that rock. That Jesus, you are the Son of the living God who has come to save me of my sin and what you say goes for me in my life. That is my truth. That is where I stand. That is what I declare. But it all comes down to this. Well, that's good for you to believe that, but it's not true for me. Come on, you heard that? It's this, it's this debate about what is absolute truth, or is there absolute truth, or is truth relative? That's what it all comes down to. And I'd say they're both right. There is relative truth. I mean, truth to me is that my daughter is the best daughter a man could ever have. That my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. Is that truth? It is to me. It's relative truth. It's not maybe not true to you, but I'd be glad to have that discussion. You're getting what I'm saying. There is such thing as relative truth. And if someone comes to you and says there is no such thing as absolute truth, all truth is relative, you know what you say to them? Are you absolutely sure? Because if they're absolutely sure about that, they've just contradicted themselves, haven't they? It comes down to this question, and Pilate asked it, what is truth? Is it relative or is it absolute? Well, guys, we want to know this, don't we? We want to know this, and it's important to understand this when not so much in our declaration of truth, but in how we converse that truth with the crowd, with the unbelievers. You see, Jesus could have stood there and just debated and just pulled out scripture and he could have just torn strips left, right and centre off the crowd. He could have defended himself. But he chose a different way. 
and he had his purpose for choosing that way. And we have to look at the bigger picture in all of this because in the end we can win the debate but lose a soul. You know what I'm saying? We can be right about things but a person is still going to go to hell. And it's not because we did or did not speak truth but it was how we related to that person in how we represented Christ to that person. Let me say this. If we need to defend our God, then our God's not God. He's not big enough. Alright? God can take care of himself. He's in control. We don't need to defend God. We need to represent God. We need to represent our Jesus. And it all comes down to this. What is truth? This is where I believe Pilate blew a head gasket. He just said, I don't know what to do. Who do you want? Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas, okay. What am I going to do with you? And blah, 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 and it all unfolds, okay? And I'm not trivializing that. I'm just trying to make it. Anyway. What is truth? How do we determine truth? As a Christian, we have this, don't we? We have the words that were given to us, the apostles' teachings, and all that. But the unbeliever doesn't have this, do they? See, they don't even recognize it as authoritative. I learned this in an online discussion not so long ago when I was commenting on, a, on another comment and then the following comment of that person was, well, there goes the genuine discussion. All because I introduced something from the Bible. What an interesting comment. See, they didn't see that anything that I used from the Bible would add to anything that was genuine in discussion. And it got me thinking, and as I thought about it, and as I spoke to others, it sort of, the penny dropped, and, you know, sometimes it takes a while to drop for me, that we can use the words of the Bible black and blue in our debates, but unless someone sees them as authoritative, they're not going to take them as the literal authoritative and absolute truth, are they? It's like I say to you, how far is it between me and the front seat? Come on. How far is it between me and the front seat? Two and a half metres? Three and a half metres. Three metres. We're all guessing, aren't we? Why? Because we have no measure, unit of measure, other than our opinion. And, and work with me here. But if you, if you wanted to be dogmatic about it, you could actually end up in, fight, in a fight and, and in division, uh, divisive debate if you wanted to argue that point. 
And some people do get into that state when they're trying to argue a point. But how do we determine what that distance is? Well, I just prepared one earlier. Hey? Let me see. Thank you, Reuben. Where's my glasses? It is 2.95 metres. Who said? There you go. Give him, a, give him a free coffee afterwards. But how did we settle what truth was? We had a definitive unit of measure. And see, you're, you're going to believe me because you recognize that a tape measure is authoritative. It's correct. It's right. It gives an accurate measurement. But see, if you don't believe that this is an accurate tape, well, then you're still going to dispute it, aren't you? You're still going to debate on, um, in it. You're still going to have this discussion, well, I don't believe that tape's right. You can say whatever you like. You get what I'm saying? You see, this is our tape measure. This is our tape measure. And as Christians, we can and do take the word of God as authority. But to a non-Christian, they're going to dispute it. They're going to say, well, I don't believe that. I don't think it's relevant. I don't think it's accurate. So you can quote it all you like. It still doesn't make any difference to our debate. And so in representing Christ, do we become debaters? Do we try to win the argument? Or do we just do what Jesus done and love one another? Oh, that's harder. Because I know some people like debating. I know some people like being right, don't they? I'm trying not to eyeball anyone at the moment. And we want to be right, don't we? And we want people to believe the truth that we believe. But in the end, all we're successful in doing is pushing them away. All we're doing is we're, we're giving them reason to build up walls and to say, why do I want to be like you? When, in his fact, Jesus stood silent before his accusers because he knew that his actions would produce the fruit of his perfect love through his sacrifice. This is a pivotal time in the history of our country, people. And in a few weeks' time, the government have given us the right to vote on a very important matter of whether we will change or whether they will change the definition of what marriage is. And look, as believers of Christ, we need to say no. Because our biblical view of marriage is that it is between one man and one woman for the purpose of family, for the purpose of uh, nourishing children, 
We know that. We believe that. And we can hold fast to that and not be apologetic about that. But how do we represent that in love? Because see, the truth is, things may change. The government may change the definition. So what do we do then? What we do is we keep representing Christ. Because you've got to believe me, if you're a student of history, you'll understand that the Rome of Jesus' time was not a nice place. The debauchery, the fornication, the, the injustice of the Roman Empire, peace at all cost, it was actually probably a lot worse than what we're seeing in our world today. And yet, how did the disciples of Christ change the world? Through argument? No. Through love. Through love. Through representing Christ. The Greeks, the intellectual, the philosophical people, this is foolishness to them. It is foolishness to them because they don't understand it. This speaks to those whom Jesus has been revealed. Jesus said, go and preach the good news. He didn't say, go and debate and win an argument. Yes, we can have our views and yes, we can present our views in a loving way and we can stand firm in those views, which we must. But the, the goal is to go and preach the good news. Because only then will this become their tape measure. Only then will those people see the word of God as authoritative in their life. So the goal, the first goal, is to share the good news. That is the whole point of the discussion of what is happening around our country at the moment. That is the first and foremost purpose of the body of Christ right now. Because we'll still be able to be the body of Christ no matter the law of the land. They can never stop that because the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord and against his bride. Yes, they might implement laws that will try and silence us, that will try and shut us down. It's already happening around other parts of the world. Don't be foolish in thinking that Australia is immune from it. There might be legal prosecution and persecution against us. But it's not about being fearful of that. It's about maintaining who we are and representing God in love. And how do we do that? We share the good news. We share the good news. And this morning, if you're here, and if you've not heard the good news, then I want to share it with you right now. In that without Christ, we are utterly and totally 
in despair. Your life might be going good and that's fine. You might have all the trappings of life and that's good. Your relationships might be fine and going well and look, I'm genuinely happy for you in that. But it doesn't change the fact that you are in utter despair in a spiritual sense. Why? Because of the sin that we inherited. And only Jesus can change that. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can change that. And there is a decision, before you even start to determine whether this book is right or wrong, there is a, there is a decision you need to make in determining what do I do with Jesus. Do I accept him as my Lord and Saviour or do I still go about my life under my own steam? That is the first decision and then we can talk about this. We can read Ephesians 5 and look at how we're supposed to live in accordance with that decision. Let's not put the cart before the horse. Let us see that if we're going to ask a question, what is truth? First, let me show you who is the truth. Amen. The truth is Jesus Christ. Can I ask the band, please, to come at this time? As they're preparing themselves, can I ask you to consider where you are right now? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? If not, then that is a decision you need to make today. Because everything I read out of this to you will then start to make sense. Will then start to impact your life in a positive way. You need Jesus. He needs to save you. Otherwise you will perish. Not because I want you to, but because that's the way it is. Let's stand. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, then come to the front right now. I want to pray with you. Make that decision. It will be